gentlemen, welcome to an off-season edition of the Busted Header Podcast. I am Chris, a.k.a. Not the Fake Webby, and I am joined, as always, by Hal Bradius, a.k.a. Hal, a.k.a. Jake. It's good to be back. I just somehow made my my uh, audio recording software's like, window uh, is currently, like, eight times the size of my 4K monitor, and it's freaking me the hell out. Excuse me while I fix this. That's <laughs> extremely disoriented. The other day I was... The other day I was streaming the NBA playoffs and somehow hit the magnifying glass and I was just in my laptop laying in bed watching it and I'm like, what is happening? I can't, it's like zoomed in on someone's head. It was at like 800%. So <laughs> trust me, I I have been there recently and that was very confusing. I couldn't, it's like I alt tabbed it, it wouldn't even matter. It's, I need to get rid of the magnifying glass that I couldn't find. So oh, this makes me feel like was an fun old times. person. Oh, I know. Not great. Technology. Not great, Bob. It's, it's really not gotten better. <laughs> oh. All right, I, I've recovered. I, I am, I'm back. I can actually see my waveform and make sure that I'm not, you know, recording silence or anything. All right, we. Uh, if only that was the case, that would make <laughs> this podcast so much better. We're, we're talking. Uh, we're talking front office today. Um, yes. Is there anything you really okay. wanted to round up uh, as far as injury wise? I think we're in the clear. Yeah, I think injury wise, news wise, not much to cover unless there's something I've missed. No. Nope. Um, <laughs> I have been. I will say boycotting Twitter, especially given recent news, but I've really just been too lazy to get on top of it, yeah. so uh, haven't seen anything important pop by. So That's not a big change <laughs> for you. Uh, I, I did want to say uh, playoff basketball has been great. Have you been watching mm-hmm. much of the playoffs? Uh, I've watched it here and there. The injuries kind of suck, because especially like with Devin Booker getting hurt and a couple other like high-profile injuries, it's, it's definitely kind of... Yeah, suddenly so the Pelicans far, but... like have a chance, which is wild. I don't like it. Yeah, which would be insane because I feel like the Suns, at least going into these playoffs, were the like favorite. Oh yeah, or at least like one A and one B with like Milwaukee and maybe Golden State. So yeah, I want been... that. I want that uh, that Golden State Phoenix matchup. I need that. I mean, it, it's like the the old uh, what the Warriors Rockets series just reduxed with a. I mean, yes. Two very good teams going at it for a chance. I'm shaking my head the for the people who wondered why he stopped. I'm not saying. <laughs> I mean, it's got Chris Paul on both sides, but I'm not. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I don't think. I'm not. Comp- I, the 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 way that Rockets team played was just like totally different than the way the Suns team played. I I hated watching that series. I I am very desperate to see this one. I I don't. I mean, I agree with that. I like the way the Suns play basketball a lot better than the Rockets did. They were, Rockets were trying to break the game versus the Suns, where they came. They have a lot of good, you know, teamwork and playmaking and a lot of good shooting and stuff like that. Don't so worry, Chris Paul is still trying. <laughs> Chris Paul is still Chris Paul. That variable has not changed, but <laughs> the, the surrounding parts are a lot more fun on the Suns team than the Rockets. But two very good teams up against what looks to be a very, very good Warriors team this year. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just making sure everyone knows that I'm all in on giving DeAndre Ayton a contract. It does not matter what's on, oh, what, what number is on that line. I'll, I'll give it I've been, I feel like I've been saying that. I don't know where you've been at with it, but I've been saying that since like he didn't get the max last offseason. I, I think we've both been on the same page. I just Richard wanted to make sure I put it on wax. That I'm, I'm... He, we, we've said it many times before, I feel like, but the second we get a chance, just give him the max and tell him, hey, say no to it. <laughs> give him as much money as we can throw at him. It's basically the only because, front office move I really want uh, this offseason. the Suns are cheap. It's possible that they just say... Yeah, you guys have. It, it is like a, a, trade. a valuable lesson, I think. Like, on one hand, yeah, Sarver is just a, a cheapskate. But, like, on the other hand, they got unlucky in that, like, all their contracts stacked up. You know, with and, like, they now have to pay Devin and, and Aiton and Cam Johnson and uh, 
you know, maybe they have to resign Chris Paul and Bridges. And, like, it's a good warning that, like, you look at this Pistons team and uh, there's a chance that Killian, Sadiq, Isaiah, and Cade's contract cycles are, like, all going to bunch up together throughout and their career. And whoever we get this year, too. Don't forget that. We got another. Well, I just mean like that's that's over like a three year span, but like just You're just in, like great two right, years just in general, like your cap space can disappear that quickly, and suddenly you start oh, yeah. having to ask, you know, if Sadiq Bay wants to make twenty five million dollars a year, like it suddenly becomes you know like we all love him. It's just like that's that's a team building problem, probably that you don't encounter this time, but certainly. Um, you know, in what what would it be like twenty twenty eight? You know, when like if they all get three or four year deals, kind of thing, uh, like suddenly that would be a big deal. It, you know, just it's something to keep in mind that as the, if those young people, uh, if they all pan out, suddenly you get the the you know the Celtics. I think ran into this too, right? You get this problem where all of a sudden all your young people are worth a lot of money. Um, I guess the I mean. It's going to be something that not, obviously, this isn't something we have to worry about this year or probably next year either, uh, but starting to get into that 2023-24 and then 24-25 when Cade's up for an extension, like depending on what moves you already make, that'll be the crunch time in terms of what this team is going to be built around. Because once you start giving Cade what's probably, not to not to go <laughs> four years here in the future, but I, I, I have to try really hard to not see like Cade getting a full max. Whatever that yeah, may the be. The only the only question for him is going to be: Is it the three year extension max or the the four or five year restricted free agency deal? You know, do you is he is he going for the seven or is he going for the nine year cycle? Really, that's the only question, yep. right? What is Sadiq's number? It's a fascinating question when that comes up. What's Isaiah Stewart's yeah. number, right? If Isaiah Stewart is still your starting center, uh, because you know, and and presumably he's earned that spot, that. Uh, if if he's good enough to be the long term starting center, like he's going to be worth twenty plus million dollars. Like that, these are numbers that, you know, they start adding up, and suddenly your young kids are worth a hundred plus million dollars all by themselves, and that's without, you know, any free agents. So, something to keep in mind. Uh, I think the other one lesson I wanted to take away from this playoff basketball is though, this is the framework you have to keep in mind, as we talk about team building, like. There's a lot of people right now who's like, what if we traded for Zion? That was the thing that Bill Simmons <laughs> proposed in a podcast. And it just, it's driving me crazy because it's the stupidest idea. And there's a lot of people who are like, but Zion, like the the, the risk Zion. is crazy, but the reward. And it's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. That risk isn't crazy. That's like putting it all on black in a board with like three <laughs> black pieces on it and a hundred red. Like you, if you... That, just play let me, out. Let me correct your roulette analogy because I, I see where you're trying to go with this. This is like putting all your money on the green space. Not red, not black, but that one doesn't, green space. That's the, the, this guy in this chair doesn't gamble, so uh, my roulette analogy <laughs> sucks. Uh, <laughs> the, point, the point is like if, if you play out the normal process of like taking your picks, paying your guys, keeping your guys, maybe making a few one-for-one -one trade type things, if any piece fails, the process can continue. If you trade, you know, whatever it would take to get something like a Zion right now, if you, which would be Way like a much. Sadiq Bay, two picks, uh, Bill Simmons threw Killian in there. I don't know why you would do that. Killian has no value right now. 
Like I, you're not gaining anything by like that's unless the Pelicans would be dependent on it. You, yeah, you, you throw him in there for that. salary reasons, maybe, but like I, that's such a sell low proposition. Regardless, like you do that, you're trading away your whole future. You don't have any recovery plans. You're you don't have any cheap Zion. contracts, you're saying, and you're yeah, doing that you're for a guy who Zion literally hasn't played in a year because he can't like recover from a foot injury because he can't stay in shape. The insanity. I mean, and on top of that, it's someone who's already been rumored to be going to the, you know... Who wants to Knicks, escape to Lakers, a coastal Nets. team as soon as possible. Exactly. But more important yeah. more important than all of that is, guess what Zion isn't good at right now? Defense. Being healthy? Defense. Even if he's healthy, Zion is not a good defender. So no. when you're when you're trying to build your team and you're looking at a playoff context and you're, and you're, you know, Troy Weaver and Dwayne Casey, and you're trying to think, what do we want to look like two, three, four, five years down the line? Building your team around Zion Williamson, the the player we've seen him be, is not easy, right? You can't play Zion at the five; it's a non-starter. But you also have to like find a guy who can cover for him, right? You need, suddenly it's not just oh I need a center. Suddenly it's like I need I have to have Miles Turner, right? Like I have yeah, to have like a, a shot specific, blocking, yeah. uh, floor spacing, a guy who can cover a lot of ground. I need Jaron Jackson Jr., right? I need an extremely specific archetype. And you're locking yourself into that for a guy who can't prove he plays. Like each each of those decisions and each layer of those decisions is something you have to keep in mind. And these playoff frameworks, right? How many different ways can we play? How many counters can we can we add on to our schemes? Those are all things you have to plan for right now. <laughs> this is where you build mm-hmm. that team. This is where you build those habits. Uh, if you want to be the Suns, right, and be this this wonderful ball movement team that has all this flexibility in the lineup. You don't do it by by trading away all the assets. You do it by using those picks to get Michael, uh, Mikael Bridges and um, Cam Johnson, Cam Johnson, and uh, uh, wow, there there are other wings. Um, oh, wings! Oh, uh, brain is farting. <laughs> I legitimately can't even tell you honestly. Oh my god! He was on the Cavs and the Celtics and the and did you play for Toronto? I don't think you played for Toronto. This is ridiculous. Crowder? Joke. Thank you. Yes, Jay Crowder. Right? <laughs> okay. And Jay Crowder. And, like, all those players, right? All that, the way that their team has created their flexibility wasn't by just going in on a star, right? They got Chris Paul on the cheap, which is mm-hmm. a thing you have to do, but they didn't sell out for him, right? They just built. They, they got, got their... Chris Paul when Chris Paul became available and they decided they wanted to win. That wasn't, like,. They were building their team around Chris Paul. Their team, they felt, was ready to go. Exactly. And they're like, we need to supercharge this by getting a Chris Paul who's available for pretty cheap. We're going to bring him in here, and it's going to be perfect. And it worked out better than I could have exactly. imagined. Exactly, but they I'll built the right much. framework first. Yeah. You don't you don't just go gambling with all the pieces that you build the framework out of, and then like you end up with like a house built up with like a roof, but there's only like one wall, and you like you just like you don't there's. The, whatever the analogy is, it's bad. <laughs> today is not a day for metaphors for me. You have not gotten your analogies it's, down today. It's fine. All. It's fine. I worked long, hard day. Uh, brain, yep. brain power is gone. We got to talk about the front office and the moves they did make, though. Um, I, I think starting with with Dwayne Casey. So, generally, mm-hmm. what did you think about about Dwayne Casey this year? I mean. As a whole, I feel like with Dwayne Casey, I felt pretty in between on him. 
I think there are some things that he's done well. He's continued to rely on, like, given more leash to uh, Sadiq Bey. <laughs> he's given, you know, more opportunity to play some young guys. Like, he got Marvin Bagley in a trade and went out there and played him as much as he could. Isaiah Stewart has still had minutes. He started, I think, every game he was healthy for, which is, like, more than I would have expected. Like, he's still, he's playing the young guys. He's given them opportunities. Some of the things that concerned me were that I feel like we took a step back in a couple different directions um, as a team this year, despite having what you would imagine would be a, a stronger core with someone like Kate Cunningham running it. Um, so that was something that did concern me. But as a whole, like I'm not upset with what I've gotten from Dwayne Casey. But if we are, you know, once we get to that eventual contending stage, there have been problems that we've <laughs> talked about on endless podcasts um, from the, when we were good uh, with Dwayne Casey good being relative um that upset that kind of frustrated us while watching the Pistons play so um in terms of like being that young development coach I think he's he's had some good spots he's had some bad spots but the thing that I'm happy about is especially towards the end it seems like he, he was letting them play a little bit more letting them get comfortable especially for a guy like Killian for someone like Marvin Bagley and especially like Caden Zadik the stars so how did you feel about him yeah so I I I think that's right I I think there were two let, – let's start offense. I think there were two kind of phases of the yeah. season, right, the pre-deadline and the post-deadline. And, like, pre-deadline, so many isolations, right? You had you had the worst sides of Jeremy Grant. You had Sadiq Bey doing way too much. I There's been a lot of people that were like, oh, uh, everybody complained about Sadiq Bey early in the year. Look what he's doing now. Like, I hate to break it to you. That shit was not necessary for the process. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like what Sadiq learned to do is attack out of triple threat, become really efficient with his first dribble. What he was doing was just dribbling into traffic and barfing shit up. Those are not uh, congruent processes. They're not uh, the failures from the first part do not inform the second. That's not what, you know, though that they, that wasn't connected the way people want to make it out to be. That was bad coaching and bad offense. And like, he's going to have to just own up to that. The good news is that changed in the second half, both Sadiq's play changed. And I think Dwayne Casey, uh, you know, post deadline, we talked a lot about the, the, the horn sets, right? Uh, Sadiq Bay getting the ball in a horns set, um, kind of doesn't have to cover as much ground when you, when you start inside the arc, right? It's a one, Instead of a two dribble move, you get to make a one dribble move out of those those post isolations at the elbows. Um, you know, much more efficient with how he was playing off the catch. Uh, pre deadline, a lot of just garbage from Jeremy Grant. Right, post deadline, uh, in part I think because of his injury, it was Cade's team. Right, and we and we got we got stuff where it's like you're playing off Cade now. That's these are the rules. Uh, you know, pre deadline as it should be. Killian's whatever they tried to have him do was just garbage. All of it was just, nothing that was set up for Killian felt right. Except for that one loop play where they, they cut him down to the baseline and loop him back up for a dribble handoff going to the middle. Nothing else really got him going left. They didn't really have any plans for him post deadline. They started, you know, they bring him off the bench. He gets a lot more offense built for him. Uh, you start seeing, uh, Isaiah Stewart get the highway screens, right? We start seeing all the stuff. From, Everybody take a drink. <laughs> We start seeing all the Marvin Bagley lobs and stuff, right? So I think that's a lot of good progress. And I guess my question is, 
why did we not know to make this progress earlier? And that's the big question that I'm just going to be left with all season is like stuff from Sadiq and stuff from Killian, especially we knew what these guys were already. Not, none of this was, was news to anybody, even though Killian didn't play a lot last year, we knew what this was. So why did we need to suck? You know, like again, that the Pistons before the deadline were like the worst tanking team possible. They were like a minus 11 net rating or uh, not net rating, but, but margin of victory, which is a little different. Uh, net rating is obviously a, um, it's a per 100, right? It's rate adjusted. So margin of victory is just a, a score line versus score line. Um, but like they were, they were trash. They were five points worse than they were last year. They were much better coming out in the second half. Why, you know, why did we need that first bit to inform the second when we knew this coming in? So, um, a lot of questions, but I do think we got to give props to them for like making the right adjustments in the second half. As frustrating as that first half was, I mean, to play devil's advocate, do you think it was something that came down maybe the front office or even higher, where it's like, hey, we suck. <laughs> give the ball to the young guys. Let Killian do work. Make sure this new guy Bagley is getting like his minutes and getting his chances so we get a good look at him. Like, do you think that was something that was less on Casey himself and more orders from above on what to do? I, I don't know. I wouldn't think so. I, I, I don't. I don't get the sense that Troy Weaver is the guy telling Dwayne Casey what to do. No. Um, no, I agree with that. And I don't. You know, I don't get the sense that the inverse is true either, where they, they said, hey, you need to make sure you really suck to start this season. Like, I don't get that sense either. I just, it feels like they didn't really know what they had until halfway through the season. And that's, that is just the baffling part. Yeah, why it took so long to figure out. I mean, yeah. like we knew from the second Cade walked on the court where he was. And I don't, and I feel like from the media quotes during the offseason and preseason, all that. I think everyone on the team did as well. So it's kind of confusing why it took so long, uh, you know, to kind of give him the full reins and why it waited until, Jer- like, Jeremy getting hurt uh, for it to be the cage show. So, I mean, I get that, obviously, Jeremy is a veteran who's been on the team last year. He expects a certain amount of, you know, contribution. But at a certain point, like, you got to give the reins to the guy who's going to be your all-NBA guy, potentially. Yeah, I, there is some weird stuff. Like, uh, I know James Edwards has reported... Um, you know, that of the guys that came in and worked out for them, Cade was the one that actually struggled in workouts um, hmm. pre-draft. Like, I don't know if that, if they let that inform any of their expectations. I don't know how much the injury uh, set things back. Because obviously, you know, this is a guy struggled in those workouts, uh, barely played summer league, gets hurt in training camp. Like how much, you know, how much did yeah. they know about the things Cade liked and didn't like? I don't know. Uh, I'm willing to give them more of a pass for in, for not like handing the reins to him, and I think it's probably smart to not just like force things on him early, especially given how like how much he struggled coming out. It's it's a lot more about Sadiq. It's a lot more about um, a lot more about Killian, and I think even more than that, um, you know, a lot more about like what they were trying to do on offense and like philosophically where Stewart fits in, why certain adjustments weren't made for his play. Just lots of little things where it was like, these, these were things that we as fans were identifying. And I don't really know why they didn't get like, they weren't even experimenting with alternatives. It felt like 
for much of the mm-hmm. season. Like it would, I would have been a lot more comfortable looking out and being like, "Oh, they're throwing shit at the wall, seeing what sticks." And it just never, it just felt like they were just sticking to what they were doing and letting it slide off the walls. Yeah, I mean that's something I always feel like I want to see more from a team that you know is going to struggle and it's no secret is going to be pretty bad. So <laughs> I think that doesn't just apply to just the Pistons. It probably goes to a lot of other teams, not named the Oklahoma City Thunder. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think the other thing we got to give credit for i really liked what they did from a uh out of bounds uh stuff uh this year if you remember that one year uh the blake year like they couldn't get the ball inbounded half the time they'd like throw it at like the opposition there were some very weird plays that year and it it felt like they hit uh they had a decent hit rate this year they had that one play where guys uh kind of cut down the the side of the lane and got uh, uh, layups off it all the time. Frank and uh, uh, I want to say Frank and Jeremy really got a bunch off that look. Um, just in general, I, I do think that there was some X's and O's improvements this year from Dwayne Casey that I really liked, and that that felt like an, a, a really obvious area. Um, especially that I think they learned their lesson early about making sure that Killian was a guy inbounding, for example, things like that, where it was like, oh yeah, we. We're seeing them make make progress there, so uh, I, I got to give them credit there. It's always mind-boggling that some coaches don't have the point guard inbounding the ball, especially a bigger point guard like a like a Killian or a Cade. Uh, there's, <laughs> I mean, um, when SVG was here, like they had uh, Marcus Morris be the inbounder a lot. I think, um, yeah, and like he was just he was a smart swing passer, right? Like he he had the size, he he made smart decisions. It's fine. I mean, yeah, there, there the was right times this year rather, where, like, yeah. we had Hamadou Diallo be the inbounder. And if there's a player on the team that has, like, the biggest struggles with processing, you know, passing decisions, it's probably Hamadou Diallo. And that just, like, didn't make any sense. Um, you know, and, like, it wasn't because they were going to, like, throw a, a play and then have him, like, cut from there to the rim. Like, the play was for Hami to be the, you know, the inbound threat kind of thing. Like, it was mm-hmm. just, like... What are we doing? I I don't get this. Um, so yeah, I I'm glad that like they figured that out. It was it was a clear a clear improvement throughout the season, and by the end of the season, I was pretty confident in what they were running. So I was I was pretty happy with that. All right, real quick, you want to move on to the defensive side of the floor and something that I feel like we've talked about uh, already to death, which is the drop versus the switch. Yeah, it's just kind of an interesting thing. I'm really fascinated to see what they come out with next year right uh Mm -hmm. they move they move not just from the drop where i think Stu was pretty good last year uh but like they didn't drop at all ever right it it, it went from a thing that was their base defense to something they didn't do at the end of the year uh they go to a, a soft switch instead of a a hard switch they you know just a lot of interesting decisions and I guess one of the big questions I'm left with is how much of this is we want to see Isaiah Stewart do it? Because he was definitely good at it. Um, how much of it is this is what uh, Marvin Bagley has to do, right? This is what Kelly Olenek has to do. Um, you know, neither one of those guys are good drop defenders. So are you trying to come up with a scheme where you're running the same scheme for all three guys and this is just what you settle on? I don't, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see where they go you know, in the off season, what kind of alternatives do we come up with as far as personnel? And then where does that lead uh, defensively long-term? Cause like we see the, uh, 
like the Heat, right, with with Bam, do the the switching all the time, right? He's the switchiest player in the NBA. You see it with the Warriors, but like <laughs> you're demanding a lot out of your perimeter players to handle everything, everything that you you're doing um, is is because you've got wings like Jimmy Butler, or you've got wings like Clay Thompson, or you've got wings like Andrew Wiggins that are absorbing these switches. The Pistons don't have that, right? We've talked about Sadiq Bey's defense, but like it's mostly theoretical at this point. That's not who he is yet. Uh, Cade might be able to do that, but like, do you want Jimmy Butler's defensive workload on Cade? I would say no, but I would counter with saying I think the NBA is kind of moving uh, more towards kind of a, a switch system uh, throughout the league, just because there's been an abundance of you know these bigger point guards, these stronger you know wings that can go and bang down low, and they're not getting destroyed the way that, you know, a Chris Paul was back in the day when he was, you know, like a rookie or a younger guy. So I think that's something that we're probably going to see more throughout the NBA as a whole and less to do with the Pistons themselves. Obviously, if you have a team like the Jazz with Rudy Gobert, they're going to stick to a drop system because that's what makes the most use of their big men. But with these teams that don't have kind of a dominant center and, a you know, a shot-blocking threat, I think they could see them move into a bit more of kind of a switch system, especially with the soft switch. So. so I'm, I'm nervous about that being the base. I've said I've said that before. I'm just I don't think that it's. How do I put this? You then have to have that capability to do that switch across the whole roster, right? It's not yep. just oh, Cade's good at at this. Well, like, no, no, no. You need you know whoever is is your bench shooting guard, also has to be able to soft switch. Right. If you play a lineup with with Isaiah Stewart and you want him to be the switch guy, you know, if you're playing with two guys off the bench, whoever they are, whatever position they play, they also have to be able to switch. Right. It, I mean, but this like is what you, it turns. Down, it, a, this is what it ends up being in the NBA playoffs, anyways. It's, it turns into just a switch like situation. It, I feel like it's more and more what today's NBA is. So the more the more used to it you are, the better you're going to be in it. It does, but you don't want them to know that you're switching every time, right? You want to be able to throw different looks. You want to have Well, you don't want to switch every time. You want to fight through it and stay in your guy, ideally, but... But that's, that's what you're going for right now. Like, if you're not... If you don't have, like... It's one thing to say Stu can switch. It's another thing to say Stu is going to switch everything, and you can predict that, and you can build things around it, right? When is Stu going to drop, right? When is he going to throw a counter? Do you have another big on the roster who can just be um, uh, Brooke Lopez when you need him to be, right? It may not be a thing you want to run all the time, right? We talked earlier about, like, the the playoffs being the framework for team building, right? You don't want your starting center to be a guy who can only drop, right? Even mm-hmm. a, a DeAndre Ayton, right, as, as a traditional center is switchy. Even, even Rudy Gobert being the premier drop center, like, is a switchable player, right? Rudy is a pretty yeah. good guy out on the perimeter, um, and probably doesn't get enough credit for that. Uh, maybe the the mo- the one guy who is the most constrained in the drop that still plays it like that is Embiid. Um, yeah. And even then, like they they build that team a little differently about around him. But I'm just I'm concerned about switching permanently. I'm concerned about not moving with other looks, not experimenting with other looks, and just you know what's the what is the plan long term? I, I want to know you know, on their, on their big board, you know, in the, in the draft room and uh, in free agency, you know, what's, are they, are they planning to just be like a switch team all the time? And are they going to refine, you know, the, the rules for when to switch better so that we're not just getting burned on the soft stuff all the time? What would you think is the better move for them? Because personally, I'm in the side of, you have 
a big point guard. You have, you know, big wings. Just switch all the time. We'll make it work. You'll lose some buckets. You'll gain some buckets. But that's personally where I'm at. Where are you at? I want my third center, my second or third center, to definitely be a guy who can drop. Because against okay. someone, against someone like a Giannis, or um, other like traditional centers, I definitely want that to be an option. Right? I don't want to play Embiid, where my <laughs> yes, only big traditional center example <laughs> is, is your is your um, is is like there's nobody who can just like guard Embiid, but I don't want to play Embiid where like my my options are Isaiah Stewart, Marvin Bagley, and Kelly Olynyk. Like I'm gonna get toasted. There's no, there's oh, yeah. nothing I can do. So I want to have an option. Whether that option is the is your starting center and it's and you're getting like a DeAndre Ayton type player in, or you're getting a um, like a Mark Williams in the draft. Uh, you know, if you think that's the option, fine. I still want to have the option to switch. I just want the versatility, right? The the key is to have the versatility to throw multiple looks out there and not be dependent on one thing or the other for me. Yeah, I feel like obviously the dream is to have a center that can, you know, be able to switch onto, you know, a wing player if need be, or even a even a guard and kind of stay in the general vicinity of them, but at the same time still be able to guard a, or at least <laughs> put up a, a a reasonable defense against a Embiid, Jokic, all those kind of guys. So, yeah, it's definitely tough to find, but I think in today's NBA, as the big men, which is it's making a comeback at the moment. We'll see if it, you know, curls off or whatever happens ends up happening with that. Because centers are having a moment right now between Embiid and Jokic fighting for the MVP. You have Carl Anthony Towns out here showing out. Like, big men have been very important here. And if you want to classify Giannis as a center, him getting the title last year. So. You got guys <laughs> like Bam Adebayo are crucial for their team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 The center has, has been, I think, falsely undervalued a little bit because uh, it wasn't the... Uh, what, what do you want to call it? It wasn't the, the, the glamour position for several years. But, like, it's always been important to have that versatility in the playoffs. And we're seeing now yeah. that <laughs> the players who, who grew up watching the skill players and, you know, who grew up watching Steph Curry come into the league and have wild skill sets at seven feet tall. And we're yep. only going to get more of them. Uh, the, yeah, those guys are... Many, uh, not going to see a whole lot of Tim Duncans anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, even Tim Duncan... You know, a little I'm different, talking about the like, fundamental Tim Duncan. Obviously, the, he could do a lot more than that. Yeah, <laughs> but even more like the DeAndre Jordans of the league, you're just not gonna yeah. find as many guys, even at seven foot, who are content with being seven footers make the league, right? You're, you're they're gonna start seeing guys like um, your second your second round picks are gonna start looking more like Jalen Williams at Arkansas, where they're like Al Horfordy, right? Where even mm-hmm. if even even if you're not like a skill center dribbling and shooting. You've got these this passing and this you know th- this level of defense that's a lot more about moving your feet and stuff. So, yeah. What else do you want to talk about for Dwayne Casey? All right. Well, <laughs> I love this next header, which is uh, you put down team morale. How much of this is bullshit? <laughs> so, I don't think you're ready for me to say that, but <laughs> explain your point here. Uh, I just everyone wants to give him credit. Like the locker room didn't didn't collapse, and like a. For the record, they had a team meeting around the the uh, All Star game, and like definitely had to refocus because Team Rao was in the shitter. Uh, B like there's definitely a benefit to like having a coach keep guys together. Absolutely, no question. There's a certain amount of me where it's like, do you do you guys understand that when you say that Team Rao just like leapt 
for a game, the minute you lose the next game, that's gone. Like that mm-hmm. stuff is extremely fleeting. So I, I just think I I don't I get a lot of people who are like Dwayne Casey has to be the coach of the future because of how much he's generating like team morale in the locker room. And it's just like I need you to put a value on that. Because I would say it's a little bit different because I feel like when you're not when you're a bad NBA team, kind of in the the day to day, which Pistons have been a bad NBA team for the past two years. Like I don't think anyone on the team is really too concerned about wins and losses. Obviously, they're going to talk to me and they're going to say, you know, ah, it's unfortunate we couldn't get the win for the home crowd tonight. Yada yada yada. But I don't think, like, I don't think morale is getting boosted by whether they beat the seventy sixers or not. But you know, it is like you know what does matter: people getting their minutes, getting their shots making sure that everyone is happy with their role on the team. Because on a bad team, when you look around and see a bunch of other guys who are not making all-star teams or all-NBAs or anything like that are probably not going to in their future, every single guy all of a sudden wants more, and they want to be the guy that can fix it. So I want to give Casey credit for managing the roles the way he has in that we bring back a Jeremy Grant after he's been hurt, and Jeremy's not upset with kind of the limited shot volume he gets and the limited time he has the ball as opposed to what he had prior to it. So... I think Casey does deserve some credit in that regard, but I, <laughs> I think you'd saying like how much is this bullshit? It's, it depends on how you look at it. Is the way I'll, I'll say that. I I just like I'm really tired of hearing it. It's like, I I don't I don't like that people pretend like that has a known value that they're just assigning. Did you see the the? Of course, you haven't been on Twitter much recently, but like, uh, Kuki Hill put out a, a tweet about someone in in the comment section of something being like, Cade Cunningham isn't the rookie of the year because I think Scotty Barnes is going to average some bullshit stat line and Evan Mobley is going to average some made-up bullshit stat line and Cade's only going to average some made-up bullshit stat line. And it was like, they're all bullshit stat lines. You just made them all up. Like, you can't use those as facts. And, like, I just, I just, when you're talking about things like Team Rail, absolutely has value. But I need you to put a value on it when you're talking about, like, this is the coach I want for the future or this is why he should be coach of the year. Like, it gets used all the time do you actually, like, where does that stack up to knows how to coach a system and run a system? Where does that stack up to knows how to make in-game adjustments? Like, I feel like a lot of people just, like, throw it out there. It's like, this is why he's a coach and walk away. And, like, no, it's not. <laughs> that It's because actually people... team morale, to me, is a symptom of doing all the other shit correctly. When you win and when you have a good locker room, it's because you've, like, you're a coach that is, like, making people feel like they're making progress. And it has a lot less to do with like some of the stuff people think it does than, than uh, you know, it's it's not like pixie dust. <laughs> it's tied yeah. to all the other stuff that actually makes somebody a good coach. And that's where I'm just, I'm really tired of te- of like, good locker room being the thing that people just throw out because you know what, bad locker room happens a lot more than you know. <laughs> Most locker rooms are pretty contentious yeah. places, even amongst friends, because it's a competitive sport. These guys go after each other in practice all the time. That's one hundred percent. When Jimmy Butler went off on Spo, for example, uh, like that was pretty extreme. It's probably happened in practice a hundred thousand times. It's just that it spilled over into like public eye for the first time. That's not abnormal. <laughs> yeah, and I mean Jimmy Butler, like his tenacity in practice and in games, kind of speaks for itself. So, like that doesn't. When I saw that, I'm like, yeah, that probably makes sense. They get mad at each other, but the reason they're professionals is and they're there's fine. Just, there's a lot of guys. <laughs> the next day like, they were fine. <laughs> Uh, uh, like Mark Jackson, Warriors loved Mark Jackson. I <laughs> he cannot coach my team. 
it's, does, I, I don't, he tried to like perform an exorcism on Festus Azili, and apparently Steph Curry was okay with that, but like, I'm not. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, I, I think people kind of get carried away with how important a coach is at handling team morale because they look at, you know, all the great coaches, a Phil Jackson, like Pat Riley, Greg Popovich, even Steve Kerr nowadays, like they're all coaches that they don't have, they have, they're phenomenal coaches. They have a lot of good X's and O's. They're not maybe the greatest of all time at the X's and O's, but they're really great at managing players. Well, part of it that comes with managing players is having good players. <laughs> so, well, like, okay, Phil Jackson's a great, between... a great example because, like, Phil Jackson, yeah, pretty, like, had some, some okay X's and O's. Like, famously is like, is like the, the team, uh, the guru, team guru Zen guy, master. but like, you know what Phil Jackson mostly did? talk to the media while the other guys like punched each other in practice like really famously just like went after each other in practice like that locker room was not a happy place just in case you like missed the last dance or like had yeah. never seen uh michael jordan like talk to anybody it's or not a positive place Shaq, to be if you only seen recent kobe and Shaq and not kobe and Shaq when they were trying to kill each like, other basically his his uh, locker room management skill was being the guy that stood in front of the press while the other people like did their shit behind the scenes. Uh, just yeah, whatever. Um, but like the difference between them and like a you know a Spo or like a, a Nick Nurse, like the Nick Nurse and the Spo are phenomenal coaches, but they just don't have as many chances to win it. But they will get you far in the playoffs and they'll get you to the playoffs every year. So there's a lot of different things in a coach. Personally, I'm not. I'm not overly concerned about team morale as long as you don't piss everyone off, as you saw with the uh, Pacers coach. Was it last year or earlier this year? Oh, yeah, the, last year. The guy from <laughs> as long as you're not that, where you're actively pissing off everyone on the team, then I'm not too concerned. The more important thing for me is the X's nose and kind of how you play your guys. So that's my two cents. All right. Um, so, like, big player development wins for Dwayne Casey. What do you have? Uh, this is a tough one, um, at least for me personally. <laughs> Would you say maybe like Isaiah Livers coming out and being successful? I, obviously, it's a little bit different since he was coming off injury. He wasn't. He's not really a necessarily development case, uh, but him coming out and playing good has been a positive for me. Um, I think of like a uh, like a Hami, Hamid, Hamidou Diallo coming out and finding a role and being successful this year, no matter what you think of him in terms of a long-term player. But he turned from someone who was kind of not really playing uh, when he left OKC to someone who, when he's healthy, is a borderline starter for the Pistons. So I think there's been a couple of cases. Those are the, a lot of it, I feel like, it's just been like natural progression of guys as they get older and more comfortable in the league. So I don't think there's anything I can say I want to hold up and say, like, here is what, you know, he's, like, <laughs> here's what Casey's done amazing. Because, like, you look at a, a Sadiq Bey and how much better he's gotten offensively. I feel like a lot of that was in the offseason and not necessarily something that Casey was doing. So no, that's my two cents I on think, it. I think Casey certainly would have had a, a part to play in that. I think certainly seeing what, nothing, the way but... Bay changed you know, his, his attacks at across the season, I think definitely you can say that, that Casey and his staff had something to do with that. Uh, I think we're seeing like Killian's shooting transition you know, changing to like a hop in his shot and, you know, changing the footwork, uh, the change in rim attacks, like clearly something has, has changed and improved there from him. Uh, you know, Isaiah Stewart, uh, I like the shot that he was shooting at the end of the year a lot. 
compared mm-hmm. to where he was at the beginning. I certainly think that like him as a switch defender, um, you know, as nervous as it makes me from a schematic standpoint, from a team building standpoint, like as a as an individual player development point, that's a huge win. Um, you know, I I don't know that we saw anything really that I was super excited about from Hami in terms of like player development. He did some of the stuff last year and it didn't feel like he was processing anything differently or showed any new skills. Yeah, I think Frank was too injured to ever really see if he learned anything. I have a really hard time pinning something down from Saban where I'm like, this is a big step up from Saban. Um, I don't know. Anything else you can think of there? I mean, I would say, especially with like Saban Lee, it's been kind of, I feel like, the biggest disappointment in terms of growth that we expected over this year. Where last year it looked like he had some things that could make him like a like a backup big in the league and kind of get his minutes, but as I know we said in the last podcast, now he just looks like a lesser version of Ishsmith, and Ishsmith is already in the league. <laughs> There's only so many spots for that kind of a guy. So I think Saban's lack of development, which I mean he's a second round pick, you don't want anything. They're not expecting too much out of him, but it's been a little bit of a a disappointment in that regard. In some in some of that we felt like could maybe have some possibilities. And how much of that is, you know, Saban personally versus, like, him not getting the proper coaching that he needs for him to succeed? Like, it's, it's very hard to look at that from outside scope. I don't want to judge it too harshly. Uh, but I would say Saban's been, at least to me, the biggest uh, kind of disappointment in terms of actual players. Not something that where it was, like, injury-related. Like, Frank, I feel like, was injured every time I watched the Pistons this year. So, like, I can't... His kind of regression... Uh, to call it that, I wouldn't put on the coaching staff because it's like he hasn't been injured or he hasn't been healthy. He's been injured this whole time, so. Right. Um, I guess uh, let's let's move to the other members of the staff real quick. Uh, Rex Kalamian, uh Beeline, uh, medical staff. Was there was there any part of that where you you really flagged something from that you can trace back to them? And I no? mean, I like <laughs> I like John Beeline as a coach. I think anything that uh he's involved in is probably good for the team so i can't think of anything specifically but i say it's probably a good thing his input his opinion on that if he you know is the reason that uh we drafted uh who's your guy livers if he's the sole reason for that because he's watched him play and he knows what kind of work ethic he is and livers goes on and plays in the pros for 12 years (laughs) then i'll consider that a positive other than that i don't really i don't have any many other opinions (laughs) uh yeah i'll be interested to see you know I think he's been the big guy uh, kind of guiding some of the shooting developments for Killian stuff, so I'll be interested to see how that turns out. Uh, Rex Kalamian, I think, is definitely the guy that, like, pushed for the switching. Um, and, it like, when in the games where he was the head coach, I think it got even more aggressive than it was before. So uh, I think that, that'll be something I'll keep an eye on while he's here, uh, especially considering that I think we saw some of what the Pistons were doing last year end up in uh dallas with uh sean sweeney so um there's that i didn't think i didn't have a lot of concerns about the medical staff this year like i didn't have any like major red flags in terms of guys that like seem to be treated wrong except for killian just playing on that thumb which i thought was really weird um yeah you know it hasn't been like there was a couple years ago where it felt like everyone was coming back too soon and i can't think of anything specifically but i do feel like there might have been some at the time where I'm like, yeah, it seems a little questionable. Yeah, we sure what, what's going on there, but yeah, nothing that I can point to. 
Uh, and then I guess the last the last guy that maybe to talk about DJ Baker and uh, and the crews. Uh, first year of existence, and they made the playoffs. Something the drive really struggled to do. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, they didn't uh, win their playoff game, which sucks. Uh, I think they were pretty heavily favored in that game, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, like that, I think that's a big achievement. I think that most of the guys that went down there seemed like they were producing down there and, and doing well. So I didn't get to watch a lot of the crews this year, but it's nice to know that like that program definitely seems to be in the right place, and he's the guy that helped. Uh, that helped uh, set up the the uh, nine hundred five as well. Uh, he was part of that program with with Casey there. So, uh, yeah. All right, time for I guess the other big one, Troy Weaver. The Troy uh, Reaper. God damn it! I fucked it up. I had it <laughs> in my head and I didn't say it right. <laughs> All right, uh, revisiting the draft. What did you think about the okay. draft? well we can start with Cade uh nailed it yeah <laughs> that was we can't judge too harshly he didn't pick uh green like we were afraid that he might so yeah he picked the right guy boom we're, we're done with number one <laughs> moving on farther down uh pick number two Isaiah Livers no complaints seemed like he was doing pretty good <laughs> I think do you have anything to say bad about the that's a livers pick i think not i don't think no i, I it was kind of interesting at the time because he was hurt so we weren't really sure like where his actual like draft stock was going to be um you know but you had an opportunity because you're in a tanking position to like suffer through the the rehab process and as long as you can keep him healthy uh, i think that's a clear win because i think livers probably would have had a first round grade on him um yeah you know for I a lot of teams would have been a late late first early second if he wasn't hurt so that's when you can get someone there that's positive. And looking around, like, uh, to some of the other people who were kind of picked around him, like Kessler, uh, what's his name? Kessler Edwards. Edwards for the Knicks. Looked like he got a bit, bit of run. He's someone I recognized. The Knicks uh, or the like Nets? A, or Nets. 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 Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Okay, good. Because he was there kind of where the KD was hurt and kind of had some, some bright spots. But other than that, there wasn't really a whole lot of uh, <laughs> great picks around him. So that kind of tells you how good of a good of a pick he was and yeah i don't think anyone has complained about that pick either now to move on to your favorite <laughs> luca garza which on the one hand i want to be i want to say that for a pretty much end of the second round pick like you can't really expect hardly anything out of it and it's an absolute shit show it's much before you get to that point but especially once you're at the end of the second round like these are the picks that are getting like bought for money so on the one hand, I can't, like, I see where the logic was when they made the pick. I can see what they were hoping that he turned into, and it's clear he's not that, and I doubt he will be, uh, you know, during his time with the Pistons. Uh, there was maybe, like, one guy, a couple guys that got picked after him that had some interesting moments. Looking at, like, a uh, Jericho Sims, which I feel like, I mean, are you talking that he was somebody you would have liked to see the Pistons go after? Correct. Uh, yes. Got, Very much so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he got picked we, after we, we are probably not like feeling the need to trade for Marvin Bagley if Jericho Sims is here. Yep, he had some decent run um, on the Knicks team. Uh, there's an Aaron Wiggins who got picked. He was from Maryland, went to the Thunder, got some minutes. Not anything too insane. Uh, but the two that got picked right after him, Charles uh, Bassley, Basie, Bassie, and I'm not even going to try on the next name, Sandro. Mm. That, yeah, that one's hard for me too, buddy. <laughs> uh, Mamukashvili, something one. like that. 
Yep, but he got picked. Um, ended up going to the Bucks and kind of got some minutes there um, towards the end of the season. Another guy who was in college for a long time. Uh, but I think he finished the year, the last, yeah, the last Bucks game of the season. He got 43 minutes and put up 26-13-4, which is, uh, or 28-16, 28-13-4. Not too shabby, I no. would say. Yeah, for, uh, here's, here's the, the thing about the Luka pick. This is like an absolute F. I'm sorry. There is no excusing the process here. Like, I don't understand. Did you not work him out? Did you not look at any of his tape? Like, this is just, a, uh, like, you you can't say, like, I get this. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't get it. Uh, I don't understand the value. Uh, he wasn't even that spectacular in the G League as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you, you know, you do that. And then to double down with the next one, the Baltzico Provitsa pick. I, I, <laughs> who is this? <laughs> like, I knew who Balsa was a little bit. And, like, you know, I wrote here, like, he, Weaver faked me out of my shoes here because I felt like I'd missed something. I was like, okay, I've seen Balsa play. And I went back and I watched the thing. I was like, does he, like, okay, he's, he's a play finisher and, like, can he move his feet? And like, no, no, he can't do any of this shit. And, like, the first week I tried to, like, pretend and, like, through Summer League, like, I tried not to be too harsh. I was like, surely Troy Weaver has seen a thing that I cannot see. He did not. Balsa barely played in Summer League. He was out of the league. He's overseas. He's never going to be an NBA player. I, Jericho <laughs> Sims is right there. Like, this is where you say that, that this is a shit show. Maybe maybe it's a shit show, but like it's a shit show where you are definitely in charge of the odds. Right? If you I mean, if you select Jericho Sims, like it's an older player who was a good defender in college, who's got absolute out of the gym hops. I know what that is in the NBA. Maybe that maybe he never becomes something offensively enough to stick around, but I know that coach will give him minutes. <laughs> the only reason Casey gave Luca Garza minutes is that he had to because there were times where everyone was, else was injured. Yeah. Everyone else was hurt living in the year. And the all of them were traumatic. They were terrible. And we and for exactly the reasons that everyone would have thought. The Balsa pick, uh multiple people I've talked to that like do like legitimate top one hundred, top one fifty big boards, many of them did not have them on their big board, period. He was forty plus picks off their big board. I never even had fathomed of him as a draft prospect. I don't understand it. So, you know, honestly, I go back to this draft and I go, okay, you ace the Cade pick, but in reality, I don't know how hard that is. <laughs> the Livers pick is a good one, uh, but then like, like you, you, uh, it's not like I'm, I can give Weaver some like C for, or or like a D for the other picks because like you did end up with Cade, you got the the right guys, but like winning the second rounders, winning the, being the, the team that like gets the, the 19th pick, right? Like getting Sadiq Bay at 19, right? Huge win for Troy Weaver, right? That's a major win. That's what defines your franchise. Getting value out of the top five picks, right? Is not what defines your franchise. You sucked. You got a top pick. You're supposed to be better because you got a top five pick. It's getting the support players that like makes or breaks you as a GM. So obviously he won with, with uh, Isaiah Stewart and with Sadiq Bay. Uh, but he definitely didn't replicate that in this draft. I, d I don't know that Isaiah Livers counts enough towards that either. So, pretty disappointing yeah, we'll, there. To play devil's advocate with that, like if we were the, you know, Oklahoma City Pistons, I'm not sure we'd draft Isaiah Livers 
I feel like a little bit of that is he played under Beeline, and a little bit of that is he played like 30 minutes down the road from well, the like, distance. Well, and let's, like, let's say facility. they draft like one of the other names around Isaiah Livers, right? Let's say Isaiah Livers busts out. Is that changing your opinion of this draft? From, if Livers busted out? Yeah, if, if Livers was, was some other player that didn't make it. I would say probably probably not. Like, like, like you're, the thing I you're, you're turning his, like, you're, you're giving him, like, a B-plus automatically for, for Cade. So you're going from, like, an A-minus to, like, a B-plus again because Livers didn't work out. Like, it's, it's, you know, it's hard to be like, okay, this is some wonderful draft because you got the first overall pick correct. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't know. That was that was interesting. That you know Weaver for for having such a, an awesome win, at least from the talent selection. I still don't like the trades he made to get the picks last year, but from a talent selection, certainly an awesome win uh, in his first season. His second draft a little more questionable. Yep. And then we got to go to free agency. So what do you think about the free agents? <laughs> we start with the Olenek for Plumlee trade, which I still absolutely. I hate how that went down. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate everything about it. Um, the fact that we traded away, you know, a Plumlee that probably didn't have a whole lot of value, but we really didn't get anything at all. We were, it was pretty much a salary dump. Literally so got nothing. Yeah. That was frustrating when I I wasn't overjoyed with the signing of Plumlee in the first place. And the fact that we we're pretty much like borderline cap dumping him to get rid to sign freaking Kelly Olinick off of a strip of good games that he had that still frustrates the hell out of me um not going for like a established third center i think we talked about a bit at the time um that came back to bite us pretty pretty obviously and that's why we now have marvin bagley um so that was and pretty weaver has pretty admitted that that was a mistake he made so yeah uh, yeah i think we can i think it's fair to be like this was a very big fuck up that they didn't yeah do that correctly yeah uh, like i said we talked about that at the time and it became clearer by the day that, that was a problem yeah I, my big question for the with the kelly thing is like what was his market that's that's what i'm interested in because like in in a in a total vacuum flipping kelly olenic for mason plumley uh makes sense like i understand the the want to have a pick and pop threat and like kelly definitely wasn't Plumley as a passer, but like he is still a plus passer. You still get the elbow passing. So like I get all that. You're not upgrading yourself defensively. This isn't really um you know, when we talk about building for the playoffs, right? Building for that environment. This isn't really what does it, right? Kelly's not a guy that you really want to play in the playoffs. You're 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 regretting those minutes more than likely. Uh so was he what what was someone else offering him that he was worth what is it, eleven million dollars a year now? Not twelve. Almost thirteen. Um, you know, versus Plumlee was at like eight or nine, I think. Fuck if I know. Because <laughs> uh, I want to say that we we ended up it was kind of a flat swap plus like three million, so we were paying like three million more for Kelly, and it's just like looking back, the trade is weird. Uh, you're definitely burning some assets to do this, and you're paying Kelly more. I, I you got to take the injury out of it. Uh, a little bit i do i do think kelly played okay while he was here i think that he probably would have found a shot more if he hadn't been hurt the whole time yeah. uh you know i wasn't upset with his necessary like the expectations that came into the year i don't feel like kelly kind of killed like what i expected like no. he was about what i expected it's it's just like what what prompted him to need 12 13 million instead of eight where yeah. you know like 
one of those things where it's just like, okay, uh, you know, a little like last year, it's like there's a lot of a lot of machinations going on, right? There's a lot of movement here to get what you want, and it feels like you're kind of willing to overpay for what you want, uh, and yep. what you want didn't pan out the way we thought. I think I'm willing to give them a pass for some of the reasons, but still, uh, I'm left a little muddy on how I feel about that one. Um, I don't think Plumley was like any kind of wonderful answer to the problems they had this year, but I also uh, there's there's a value in consistency and stability, and like just keeping guys in your program and and everyone knowing what's going on, and like when you make a change, you hope it has more impact than that did. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, I would, the other I would much rather be paying plum the plums. Yeah. So, uh, the other quick free agency yeah. things, uh, resign Kojo, Frank, Kami. I don't think there's really much to say about any of that. The Kojo thing was a little weird. I don't really think that I was still a bad... don't like. I don't quite know what happened with the Kojo thing, but I don't entirely like it either. Well, they just I... they they cut they they signed him to a lower cap number. That's all it is. That was kind of a weird machination but, again, yeah. but. I mean, I get that we got, like, we extended the contract out over three years as opposed to do, but, like, just don't resign him. Just, just, we didn't need Kojo. We could have brought in ex-point guard who's in his late 30s, a veteran, to kind of come lead, help in the locker room. Like, we didn't, we didn't need Kojo at five mil a year with a 2.4 mil existing on the cap as it is. So that still was, like... Yeah, I, do, do we, do I don't know that any of those were big wins. Obviously, Frank's injury was a problem. Hami was okay. Yeah. I don't think you get anything plus out of Hami. I'm not sure. You know, you needed Hami to fill out the a, roster. It's fine. Hami is fine because Hami is like 23 years old and could be traded to a team next year with a salary point for a team like like the Suns that have to pay a lot of people. Like he can, he's a useful trade piece. I'm not, I'm not upset about uh, Hami at the number he's at, but Kojo's the one that still pisses me off. Yeah, I don't love it. It drives but... me insane. Uh, and then I guess the only other real thing to talk about from Weaver's perspective, deadline day uh, deal. Was it deadline day or did we wait? Or was it before deadline, deadline day? day? I, think, right? I think it was deadline it's day. It's, it's all blurs together. Uh, the Marvin Bagley for Josh Jackson, Trey Lyles. Uh, regardless of how I feel about Bagley long-term, you got to chuck that up as a win. <laughs> uh, yeah, 100%. Let you finally play the way that you should have been playing all year. Uh, so Jumpy just, jump guy! Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's shocking plus. how that works. So. We- Overall, the fact that we did that without giving up a first round pick, which I was pretty guaranteeing was going to happen in that process, stupidly, was I was I was incredibly happy that we got it with just a couple second round picks that we kind of don't usually draft well, anyways. So okay with that. <laughs> yeah. So Trey Lyles and Josh Jackson, who Josh was not really doing a whole lot, and <laughs> no. Lyles was there just because everyone was hurt. So yeah. Um. So overall, what would you say? How would you say for Weaver? I don't think this was as good a year as he had his first year. I think people are definitely going to talk it up and say that he did amazing. I feel like spot on where I felt after last, like the last offseason, which was did a lot of good, still did some real questionable shit that I don't know why the fuck you're doing this stuff. Like you didn't need to do this, but you went out of your way to trade Mason Plumley to sign Olenek for more money for him to probably be worse than Kelly. Yeah, like I get that you want a different like, role. I understand the destination, guy, but... but like the process is still very funny and it feels kind of like maybe there needs to be like one more voice in the room to be like, Are, do we need that? <laughs> I mean, uh, as we've talked about before, we're, <laughs> I don't think we're too, we're not too confident about the voices that are in the room other than Troy to begin with. So well, you can start there. Weird voices, but all right. <laughs> 
we had we had a question sent in from uh, Twitter user Hermaphro. When is Weaver's all-in moment best done? Is it 2025? Uh, when is this team going to be loaded enough to try like the Blake deal again or add the the second star? So for me personally, I think in this regard, it all comes down to Cade's like max contract. And I, off the top of my head, I'm I'm still I haven't looked this up to know the exact time frame. I think it's. He's due for his cap increase in the 2025-2026 offseason. So for me, it's going to be that 2025, that is the time when we will have Killian, probably if he's still like worth being on the team, he's resigned. Sadiq is already resigned at that point. Hopefully all the other money, I, the way that the money looks at the moment, everything else will be off the books. So like your Kelly Olynyk contract is going to be gone. Like Jeremy is obviously going to be gone unless he resigns, which... I think a lot of this will depend on how this offseason goes and how A, the lottery goes, and B, what happens with Jeremy Grant. If we keep Jeremy around for, you know, next year, we don't trade him, and we resign him, it'll probably depend on how long that contract goes. And I think I think that's something that we will see in terms of his, if we do keep Jeremy, how long that deal is signed for. So that Jeremy can be traded maybe 2025, is he gets on like a, what, a three-year deal, so it expires in the 2026 offseason, and he gets traded in that 2025 season after, uh, you know, we already have Cade on his max. So for me, obviously, I I kind of see it more uh, from a contract flexibility perspective. And the year that just happens, like like you said in the tweet, the year it all comes together for me is 2025, where at that point, no matter where we're at in terms of the guys around Cade, this is where, like, not to look ahead, but we're going to be paying him a lot of money and that's going to be the off season when everything changes and we run out of cap space. So I think obviously if he is turns into kind of what John Morant's been this year and taken like a giant leap forward and he's borderline in the MVP conversation, then we probably have to move it up a year or two. But for me, that is the year where everything kind of comes together and culminates and you got to decide, are we going all in with this team or are we trying to move somewhere else and kind of do something else? So that's where I stand. Yeah, I think there's two answers here, right? There's the first answer of when is when do you sign somebody, right? And that's summer 2023, right? That's when the all the cap space is open, summer 2023. Yep. So if there's a if there's a free agent or a sign and trade guy, uh, where you're where you want to take on, you know, 30 million dollars in cap space, you know, maybe 35 million for somebody, and uh, you know, you need the flexibility to do that. Your window is 2023, and then I think the 2025 is a good window because that is, like you said, that's where Cade's going to have, you know, you're, you're going to know what you've got in Cade and you're going to have your guys in, in Killian if he's here, uh, Sadiq, Stu, right? All of these guys are going to be on like their mid-level deals, right? Mm-hmm. Before like uh, Sadiq is maybe the one that like could end up over earning a bit and end up in like the 20 plus million dollar range. But like right now, like Killian Hayes might be on if he has a good year next year, right? He might earn himself a eight million to twelve million dollar deal, right? Maybe, maybe that's that's kind of the range. Like fifteen would be like the absolute cap. I don't know how he earns more than that, right? Yep, and also to feed into the hype, like <laughs> that'll most likely be the Marvin Bagley his whatever contract he signs probably this off season will probably be expiring right around twenty twenty five as well. So if we well, retain and, him, there's a lot of right. Ifs and in that so one, and so my point here is like that's where all those deals are going to be at their most tradable, right? You're going to have all these players reaching their kind of young peak age and 
on deals that are going to be probably the more favorable deals they have in their career. So if you need to do the Blake trade consolidation, I think that 2025 range is going to be about the right time to have, you know, a couple of different guys on 20 to, you know, 10 to $20 million contracts that might be able to consolidate for whatever is, is on your mind at that point. I don't even know who that guy would be at this point in time, but whoever it is, mm-hmm. don't get me Jason Tatum. I'm enjoying the hell out of Jason Tatum right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. You will have to like murder small children to get Jason Tatum, I think away from the Celtics, but Here's to hoping. <laughs> the way the way the Celtics fans feel about Sadiq Bay, maybe I can maybe I can get some leverage in there. They love them from Sadiq Bay. <laughs> Why? They're gonna put because because Sadiq Jaylen kills them Sadiq every time, and they're him? so mad that they took Aaron Naismith. He, he's their yeah. Donovan Mitchell, where they're just like, "Why couldn't we have this guy? Why couldn't we have him? He kills us for like thirty points a game." Yep. Nope. I've I've heard that bit as well. <laughs> yeah. 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 An extremely like Bill Simmons thing of like, "This is the dude that killed me, so I must have him now." <laughs> I'll take it. I won't trade him, but I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take the compliment. <laughs> All right, you want to do your your uh, draft pick of the week, yep. and we'll get so out of as here. You heard, as you heard on the last pod, our draft pick of the week is Jeremy Soshan, who is a six nine freshman who plays at Baylor. He's kind of a tweener between small forward, power forward on the team. He's about two thirty pounds. He's going to be draft eligible at nineteen and a little bit over. Um, I know, I swear I had seen that he had declared for the draft. I don't know if he signed an agent or not, but at at this point in time, he's mocked to be right at the kind of late lottery. Um, so I would expect him to stay in, barring anything kind of unforeseen. Or if someone just drops a big uh, NIL offer on his, on his lap. So Yeah, I, he's uh, in. I think it's, I, it's safe to say he's in. Yeah, I, I would think that's, that Sochan is, like, absolutely in. Um, you know, so we talked about we talked about a little bit um, on the last pod, but can you run down like what his life has been leading up to where he's at now at Baylor? Because <laughs> uh... I can see his na- his nationality is Polish, his hometown is in the UK, and he went to high school in the US. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, I don't know all of it, um, but like, yeah, you, you, the just the long and the short of it, right, is that this is a guy uh, who's basically an international prospect. Um, and because of that, he's one of the youngest dudes in the draft. Uh, that's the long and short of it, right? You're, we're talking about 19.8 uh, is, is where Tankathon has him listed as his draftable age. And if you scroll through, I want to double check. Uh, Shaden Sharp and A.J. Griffin will be a little younger. Um, sorry, uh, I think I said 19.8. That's not right. Um, so Shane is 18.9. So like... Yeah, Shaden Sharp, AJ Griffin, uh, Jabari Smith's right in that area, but like Duran's uh, in that area. But like, this is a dude who's going to be one of the youngest players in the draft, um, and it's it's partly because he did that thing like Svi Mikhailik did, where he came over really early to play college, um, mm-hmm. you know, and <laughs> and he's fun. <laughs> I he's he's been one of the most fun players I've I've had to watch all year and I I really enjoy Sochan, right? You you said it earlier, 69 big wingspan. I don't have a number for you yet. Looks like he's probably a plus 4 plus 5 guy like if he's a 71 wingspan, wouldn't be surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh nebulous shooting numbers to say the least. Uh definitely have to like look past the fact that he's a 47 30 59 guy. I think there's some like good framework there, but like you definitely need a good shooting coach. I think mm-hmm probably something that you take a little bit of heart in as Detroit 
is that you've got John Beeline on your staff. That's what he does. Uh, and I think they've had a decent amount of success improving guys shooting, dating back even to the SVG era. Uh, I think they, yeah. they should be commended for what they got Andre Drummond to do from a free throw shooting standpoint. Tobias Harris had his three-point shooting explosion here. Uh, Reggie Bullock, Anthony Tolliver uh, both had their best seasons. Uh, I think we're seeing really dramatic changes in Killian Hayes in how Isaiah Stewart's shooting. Uh, I think we'll see some big changes in Cade Cunningham next year. Um, so Sadly, that's, you can't that's, put uh, Stanley Johnson on that list. What? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here. Uh, but so like, so Shan, like that's definitely a concern. But when you look past that, you're talking about a guy who like puts up like per thirty six. So this is one of the other funny things. Came off the bench for for Baylor a lot. Weirdness. Just we're just gonna pretend like that's not a thing. It's fine, but uh, 13 points, 9 rebounds, 2.5 assists, a block, 2 steals per 36, 2 turnovers. Uh, just like a guy who fills the stat sheet, a guy who can handle the ball in transition, a guy who does like, who flashes, like attacks off the wing, off the catch, where you're like, oh, this is a dude who can put the ball on the floor a little bit. A guy who can run in transition, a guy who makes good like swing passes and entry passes and just generally moves the ball well. Um you know, offensively, he's very much just like the multi-tool that you're going to have to figure out, you know, how you want him to fit with your team uh, and move forward from there. Um, it's defensively where, like, Sochan is one of the best perimeter defenders in college this year. Yep. And you're just... You're say, just... You know, you finish up. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I just want to say the biggest question I know that everyone has about Jeremy Sochan is, yes, he does have a British accent. And it sounds amazing. <laughs> uh but, like, as a defender, this is the guy who can guard guards as a power forward, who can guard centers. But he, he'll flex all up and down the lineup. Uh, yep. You know, he'll be your, your OG Ananobis, your, all, those, all those kind of defensive wings. Um, you know, he looks like Jason Tatum, and just, like, he can smother you. He's, he's great. And when you're talking about, um, you know, prospects for Detroit with, like, a second pick, um, you know, in the draft, Making if you get a... Or if you get a Jeremy trade kind of thing and you get a, a 10 to 12, you know, this is a dude who slots into just about any lineup next to just about anybody and does all the little connecty bits and also uh, adds a little bit of like that, that nasty uh, yeah. definitely is a player who will like step on toes and say some things he shouldn't. And uh, you know, I, I'm kind of torn here because I'm the guy who like kind of doesn't need that in sports. I've never been the guy who cares that much about that. Uh, I think a lot of people know that about me, but like there's definitely a value to it because people <laughs> let you get away with it. And as long as people let you get away with it, you've got guys like Jeremy Sochan who are just like going to draw technicals on other people because he pisses them off so much, right? He's going to get down and dirty and outwork you and do some Dennis Rodman shit. And you know, he's got the, the Dennis Rodman hairdo, right? The, the the dyed hair that changed colors like four times throughout the season. You know, there's just a little bit of crazy to Jeremy Sochan that like definitely brings kind of a an odd value that you definitely need to like know how you're gonna handle it and have a plan for that. <laughs> but yeah. can add some, some interesting color to your team as well. Yeah, I would say the the kind of dream scenario to get uh Sochan on the Pistons would be win the lottery get Chet Holgram, draft Chet. All of a sudden, Stu is very expen ex expendable. Trade him along with some other, you know, assets somewhere along the line to, say, like, a Hornets for their 15th pick and take Sochan there. Is that 
You follow with that? So all no, of a sudden, you're... I, I'm keeping stew. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm not. I'm not trading stew for that. Uh, um, really? If you got the fifteenth pick, you wouldn't trade stew. I love the idea of stew as like the alternative to chat. I don't want to play them together. Like, there's a lot of people who are like, "What if you play?" Like, no, I don't. I don't want to play them together, except in like really short minutes. But like, I love the idea of like chat comes off the bench and you're thinking, "Oh, good." Uh, I don't have to worry about this rim protection monster. And oh, whoops! You you you're like coming up against like a Bam Adebayo switch monster that just swallows you whole for twenty minutes a game. I love that idea. I mean, uh, I'd, I'd like that, but if I can get a fifteen pick out of something that's already pretty much a surplus for the Pistons, I'm going to take that. I would much week. rather get the sign and trade for Bagley or the Jeremy trade. Well, you we or... can't trade Bagley. Jeremy maybe, but I honestly I don't know. Jeremy was definitely going to be surplus expectation. You can definitely do you, that. You can sign and trade him, but not at the draft, right? That would have to be a later on thing. Sure, whatever. I don't care. But yeah, but having... Negotiate like it a, beforehand. I don't care. Having like a chat, fill in the blank, uh, Sadiq, Soshan, uh, Cade lineup, <laughs> that would be ridiculous. It'd be crazy town. It'd be great. <laughs> having so. having a, a like Killian, Cade, uh, Sadiq, yep. Jeremy... Uh, Jeremy Sochan and uh, like uh, Isaiah Stewart lineup would also be crazy switchable nasty like there's he's just a fun piece because once you have so many things around him you've got all these options to like throw him into all sorts of fun places and just see what sticks and uh, you know he's a player that's kind of in flux a little bit and you get a chance to like pick what Jeremy Sochan is going to look like for the next five years and that's a a fun place to be Uh, you got to get it right uh, they screwed that up with, with uh, Stanley Johnson years ago, Stan Van Gundy did, and they screwed it up with Sekou Duboya just two years ago. So, you know, there's definitely some risk involved. But if he's your second, you know, selection in the draft, you, you've got a little more leeway to make that that choice. Mm-hmm. So looking at Sochan currently in the draft, he's right now, according to Tankathon, mocked at 16 to the Hawks. Do you think that's the best fit in that kind of area, or is there a team you'd like to see him on? That's a good question. Let me, I know let me, it is. Let me see where where else the, uh, so, I mean obviously there's the Spurs at twenty, which any I like, like him on the Hornets. Oh, actually, just looking Spurs. at this, being yeah. being on the Hornets like being the, uh, like the PJ Washington alternative, because uh, I'm kind of wondering how much longer they're going to stick with PJ Washington. Isn't uh, PJ doesn't he have to get paid this offseason? Or my it's pretty it's pretty myself? soon. It's not if it's not this offseason, it's next offseason. But I. Get I ready for on-pog was... do- Googling. PJ does, he's under contract for next year. Miles is the one that's up this year. So Yes, yeah. But PJ, I mean, you got to make your decision next year. So yeah. he'd be, he'd been, be a fun Hornet. Shopping like, PJ he could well. just like, he could just go crazy on the Hornets and uh, catch lobs and like do all sorts of crazy Sochan shit. Uh, the Hawks are interesting because like, I don't think they need another wing. They just need to get the best out of the wings they have. Uh, yeah. The Wolves are a couple spots past there. Like, maybe they could finally get the... Um, who's their wing from a couple drafts ago that didn't work out? Beasley? I, I don't no, know. They, no, no, they drafted no, no. a million wings. You're talking about the Texas Tech guy? No. God, they've literally drafted so many wings. I don't even I don't even know where to start the Google on this. <laughs> this is like playing uh, Pirtle. This is what Dude, I do all literally. the time. Josh Okoji. Okoji, sure. Yeah, that was that was someone they drafted. It'd be like it'd be like they're they're a Koji Redux where they you know you get another shot at a, at a Koji. But 
Yeah, I like the idea of him on the Hornets. Definitely not the Thunder or the Knicks. Washington I mean, probably doesn't need him. The Spurs the are just crazy. If Chip England gets his hands on Jeremy Sochan, it's over. Exactly. That's where I'm like, <laughs> it's, the it's Spurs, over. I feel like, that's my favorite here, which I feel like they, I'd say. They have I a shot at 9 and but. 20, and it would be crazy to pass up Sochan with both of them. <laughs> if he falls to 20, like, that is a whole, like, he's Kawhi 2.0. <laughs> that's, I, you will <laughs> not just immediately like, oh, shit. And that's what <laughs> everyone else is going to say after the draft. Yeah, we screwed but, up. This really should be the, like, what is NBA draft Twitter just, like, nerding out over? Like, what, what fit, what team is is NBA Twitter going the craziest for? <laughs> Although, it would usually be the Spurs, so. Yeah, it's, there's, there's a couple guys, like, uh, Rob Fodor is the guy for the Miami Heat who has, I really like the stuff. He puts out some YouTube videos and stuff of his process, and I really like it, and he's had some good success with guys. But, yeah, it's, Chip England is, is the name everyone knows. It's gold standard, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's also, so, like, the Warriors guys are awesome at shooting development. Yeah. That's what There's happens you just have to, to... constantly re- reinvent things for Steph Curry every year. <laughs> this is a good transition to what uh, what path do you think uh, Sochan has to getting success in the NBA? So there's there's a couple. There's the small ball center path, right? Does he, mm-hmm. does he put on another 10 pounds of muscle over the next couple of years? And, you know, can he be 6'9", 240, and be your small ball center slash like your four next to a stretch five kind of guy, uh, you know, just just the ultimate dirty work player. You know, where does his his shooting grow to? Right? Does he can he be a, a pick and pop guy? Can he be a shooting off the catch guy? Is he a driving off the catch guy? I think the shooting is definitely like the one that unlocks the most pathways. I think his handle is okay for a player of his size, and if he starts getting hard closeouts, I think he can do some crazy stuff off the drive. Um, he shows some pas- passing flashes that are definitely there. So, um, you know, that's certainly the biggest swing skill. Um, but then it's a, like, I think if you turn him into a short roll passer, you know, I think you can get a lot out of him in that regard too. And obviously he can, you know, you want to be a switching team, he can switch everywhere. If he does become a center, can we call him the Polish Hammer again? Can we revive that nickname? I, you're going to have to ask him about that, okay? <laughs> okay. We'll say that from him on the pod. <laughs> Jeremy Socio, welcome, welcome to the Busted Header. Uh, how do you like the Polish hammer? <laughs> Have I'm you talked to Marcin Gortat about uh, taking his nickname? <laughs> we should uh, we should move on before we get too tied up in this. Uh, I know we're already almost at 80 minutes, so. That's fine. Uh, what, do you, what do you think is, uh, is the biggest thing that's probably going to hold him back in the NBA? It's the shooting. And also maybe having like Rashid Wallace levels of technical fouls. <laughs> that is a very real possibility with Sochan. Some like real boogie cousin stuff where he just like develops a reputation and never lets go. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> so, <laughs> the next question is how correctable is that? You tell me. <laughs> it depends. Does he go full boogie cousins or not? I, I mean, the, uh. like that is that is genuinely probably every bit as impactful as the shooting thing because like if you can't stay on the floor because as a rookie you got like 14 technicals you just like that's that's your career <laughs> Come nice on, job. all right round it out i think we we're both very intrigued as sochan as a prospect he's the exact kind of guy that the pistons should be looking for in drafting and someone that if he does end up on the pistons some way somehow i think cade will be very happy. He's, he's the exact player they do not currently have, right? The, yep. the freak athlete, do-it-all defender. Like, the they have the a little Rodman. bit in Jeremy who isn't quite, like, powerful enough 
to be that archetype, but like I don't know. <laughs> very much fills the need, even if the shooting doesn't come around, I think we'll have like some like oh big homie vibes uh that that'll carry him out. Gonna be, would be Big Hami. Big Hami. <laughs> Jeremy, welcome back to the pod. How do you feel about the nickname Big Hami? <laughs> uh all right, this has got off the rails. <laughs> Large Diallo. <laughs> oh, God. That sounds like a weird, like, I don't even know, like, Chinese, like, carry-on. It's, it's a very sketchy restaurant order. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get the Large Diallo. <laughs> I guess it'd be... Like, Make sure you ask for the sauce on the side, okay? <laughs> the Sichuan sauce. All right, this is this has gone way off the rails. Um... <laughs> Uh, I am definitely not going to be recording next week. I'll be down sipping pina coladas in the Bahamas. Um, I feel like bragging about that. Yeah, uh, asshole. So maybe we will have one. Let's see. When is when is the draft lottery? It's May seventeenth. Correct. So we'll definitely have one probably uh, the week prior to that, and then maybe something during the lottery. Who knows? Yeah, maybe, and definitely something uh, probably three four more before the draft so yep still got lots more time to talk talk. yeah so all right all right we'll we'll see people then talk to you guys later goodbye bye Today's music was made by Blank and Kit. You can find a link to their music in the description.